Yes, you do. And you have the right to listen to this show, Your Rights at Work. Chris Garlock here with labor lawyer Ed Smith. Happy New Year, Ed Smith. Happy almost New Year. We missed you last week. We took a break uh, for the Christmas holidays. And I was unfortunately away the week before that. So it's been three weeks, Chris. So I'm looking forward to a great show today. Looks like you've lined up something cool. Hey, if you're out there in the audience and you want to talk about your rights at work, as Chris often says, the rights you think you have, the rights you may have, the rights you don't have, please give us a call, 202-588-0893. And I hope you had a wonderful uh, holiday season. I hope you did too, Chris. I did, I did. Your rights at work. By the way, folks, proud founding member of the Mighty Labor Radio Podcast Network. That is nearly 150 labor radio and podcast shows just like this one. If you like them, you can check them out, laborradionetwork.org. And as Brother Ed says, 202-588-0893. If you've got questions as uh, 2021 comes to an end about your rights on the job, looking ahead to the next year, give us a call, 202-588-0893. Yes, great show today after months months, I say, of negotiations and a public campaign, Colonial Williamsburg workers have finally got a new contract. We'll be talking to Benji Cannon at uh, Unite Here Local 25 about that. Also, big question, Ed Smith, probably one on your mind. Will this year's historic strike wave continue in 2022? We have contracts covering 1.3 million workers expiring next year. That's just a big contract. There's a lot of smaller contracts uh, coming up as well. Hundreds of thousands of folks covered by those. We're going to talk to Labor Notes Assistant Editor Dan DiMaggio about who might strike in 22. And just for you, Ed Smith, and all of you listeners out there, we got a brand new song. You're going to love it. It's by Jerry Levinsky, and it's called We Won't Back Down. You're going to recognize this tune. We'll play that. Uh, at the half. But uh, as you mentioned, Ed Smith, we actually we uh, the show was running the last couple of weeks. We did uh, Labor Chorus concert. We did the uh, Red Carol from the San Francisco Mime Troupe uh, last week. Um, but we had some really actually a bunch of pretty good news for, for local workers uh, in the last couple of weeks. Let me just run through them real quick uh, to, before we uh, connect up with uh, Benji Cannon. Uh, first of all, for the uh, folks at Local 400 that work um, shoppers over in Fair City Mall in Fairfax, Virginia. Now, you may remember, Ed, that was going to get uh, closed, shut down. Those folks were all going to be basically out on the street. But uh, Local 400 stepped in, um, basically connected uh, shoppers uh, with the with the folks um, at United Natural Foods uh, and reached out to Safeway, which is a union shop. And basically, they convinced uh, shoppers to sell to Safeway. So the store is still there. The workers are still there. They transferred over their contract. And uh, that happened just before Christmas. So that was a a nice little piece of holiday cheer. Yeah, that's wonderful news. Uh, And and that's news to me. So thank you for bringing that to me. And, of course, we don't see it in the 
big mass media outlets. So uh, I'm glad that we're able to pass that on to uh, our audience and congratulations to local 400 and all those workers. It's hey, even if it's five workers, it's, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. And, and it's a, and it's one of those, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, feel good stories. Uh, Mark Federici, the president of Local 400, he called it a win, win, win result. I mean, everybody wins, you know, I mean, shoppers, you know, got to do whatever they wanted to do. Safeway picked up that store. The workers go on. I, I'm, I was really happy uh, to see that. Cause that was, that was right. And the consumers get to continue to shop what? where they, where they enjoy working uh, with people and getting their, you know, their, their groceries and things like that. And we should never forget about that, that labor rights are consumer rights. In, in That's right. Opinion. And I know I like my neighborhood I and mean, I got a Safeway nearby and a giant nearby. And, and, uh, you know, I know the folks there, I like to go there. A couple of other quick ones. Uh, Kellogg's, of course, that one, uh, the workers turned down the first contract uh, offer, stayed out on strike and uh, one got a good, got a good contract. So they were happy about that. Good for them. Uh, big congratulations. A uh, little closer to home, at least for me, uh, AFSME Local 3399. They represent about 80 city workers here in Tacoma Park. Uh, that's a long struggle that they've been involved with. Um, in fact, even today, you go around town, there's still signs up all over town of folks supporting those workers. They mm-hmm. got their contract. Also, by the way, as Smith turned down an earlier contract offer. Uh, so we're seeing a bit of a pattern there, I think. Yeah, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of pressure on people in the bargaining team to secure deals. And yes. sometimes management will say, this is it, no more. And then <laughs> the unions can often go two ways. They can go, you know what, I don't care if you say no more. We're not we're not bringing it to the membership. Or they know their membership is going to turn it down. So they send it to the membership to send a message back to management that, it's not just at the bargaining table. It's all of our members reject it. And so that's often a good strategy. And I think it was used in the Kellogg strike. And it certainly sounds like it was used in your town of uh, Tacoma Park. So congrats. That's great. Great news. One other one I want to report on, because this is a story that's had a couple of twists and turns. Now, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, the the, the uh, folks at Politics and Pros uh, decided to organize uh, a union. Hey, by the uh, way, I stopped over there pre-Christmas and I asked... Uh, can I come in and shop? And they were absolutely yes. And I gave my business card to one of the workers and talked okay. to the workers and let them know DCNA is here. And so anyway, give me an update. No, good for you. Thanks for doing that. And this reminds me, by the way, at um, Wednesdays, they're having folks wear red on Wednesdays. Just did uh, their latest one yesterday. You don't have to show up, by the way. You can get a picture of yourself in red, tweet it to them. Uh, Politics and Pros Workers Union, I see you're wearing your red Santa hat. That would definitely count. Um, So here's the thing, you know, as I think we reported originally, when they first uh, announced that they were organizing the uh, so-called progressive owners, uh, decided to hire an anti, a classic anti-union, uh, mm-hmm. uh, for, I think we talked about this was a firm that, that you're familiar with, uh, here in town. Subsequently, and, and think frankly, uh, likely due to a lot of pressure from locals and authors and so forth, the, uh, the employers have now said, hey, we are very much open to, to, uh, you know, considering voluntary card check recognition. Hey. So, Cautiously optimistic is the latest word from the union there. So not out of the woods yet, but uh, looking good. Well, you know, there. I'll try to be brief. You know, there's two schools of thoughts on that. Uh, some one school of thought is, no, we don't want a voluntary recognition. We want to go to an election. We want to show management the solidarity. Right. Of course, there's big risk in doing that because if you lose, you lose. Voluntary. <laughs> 
voluntary recognition. If you got the majority of cards, you're in and you can go contract negotiations. So I think that, you know, the safer course of action is to try to go for voluntary recognition. And I think in a place like that, that would work. And hopefully, uh, once they get the recognition, hopefully contract negotiations can go fairly smoothly. Um, and keep that, pressure on, keep that political pressure on. They're supposed to be progressive. Well, you know, you got to show show uh, the money where your mouth is. Red shirt like Wednesdays. Uh, yeah, say say that again. Where where do some red tweet? red shirt red shirt Wednesdays? And it's uh, I think it's Politics Pros Union on Twitter. Uh, we'll put that out on. Uh, you can go to dclabor.org. Actually, we, we've been tweeting at them for a while now. All right, we'll have some more headlines later in the hour. But first, this is a story that we followed. Uh, I think it's been almost a year. Uh, the folks at uh, Colonial, Colonial Williamsburg, uh, the, the workers kind of seem stuck in the past in more ways than one. Uh, you know, there's supposed to be history there, but maybe not the history that some people had in mind to uh, sort of pull this apart for us. Benji Cannon from Unite Here Local 25 is taking a little time out of his holiday uh, to join us and update us. Benji, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, our pleasure, brother. And first of all, I, I understand congratulations are, are due to to your local and the workers at Colonial Williamsburg. Well done. Yeah, we um, the workers voted unanimously to ratify the new contract last week. Uh, it's got huge gains in it. I know I'm sure we'll get into some more of the details. But as you said, negotiations there have been going on uh, since May. And we were just uh, really thrilled to wrap it up before the holiday with an incredibly strong new contract and the members there are just over the moon. Well, let's get into the uh, details. We're a show that spends most of the time in, in the weeds. So we want to, we want to talk about this, but the, the, the top line I saw, is this correct? A 48% increase in wages. Is that, is that, can that be true? <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed true. Uh, the non-tipped workers there going from 1250 an hour to 1850 by the end of the contract which is a 48.5% uh, wage increase that comes on top of a $1000 holiday bonus uh, that management gave to them while we were negotiating the contract as well as a $1000 ratification bonus that was thrown in there as well so uh, we're hoping that our members there really get to spend some extra time relaxing and celebrating with their families during during the holiday uh, the economic the economic side of, of the contract is really, really strong. And frankly, it was necessary because uh, workers at Colonial Williamsburg have made, you know, tremendous sacrifices for the company, basically to keep it afloat. The financial situation at the foundation has not been great uh, for some time. And uh, it was really long past time that everyone there got not just a raise, but a significant raise that lifted them, frankly, out of poverty. Let me get uh, uh, labor lawyer Ed Smith on this. Uh, Ed, Ed, this is kind of raising the bar for negotiators like you, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> first of all, congratulations, Benji. And you know, when you said twelve fifty an hour, uh, I know Williamsburg is not DC, but Williamsburg is the, the, the cost of living is not uh, cheap there. And I, I think when you said lifting them out of poverty, I, 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 I sure that's correct. Twelve dollars and fifty cents an hour is probably almost impossible to live on uh, if you're, uh, you know, a single mom or a single dad. And so, uh, getting it up to eighteen, eighteen, eighteen fifty is really, I think, essential. Yeah, it does lift the bar in a way, Chris. I mean, every contract negotiation, as Benji knows, is different, and sometimes 
um, raise structures are different within different portions of the bargaining unit. Some people need to be uplifted to get um, uh, maybe more status quo or uh, equity. Others were looking to just get straight annual uh, across the board raises, and then there's some step increases. So it's a different animal uh, between every contract and I think between every institution and sometimes even within your own institution. So Benji, um, my question is, is how about some of the working condition in uh, issues that maybe uh, were improved in the contract? How did that go? Yeah, so um, as I know we've talked about before on this show, one of the major issues that our members down in Colonial Williamsburg were facing was just horrific uh, mandatory overtime conditions. Mm. So in the hotels, people would routinely work six or seven days a week. Uh, management had a right to add extra rooms during the day to their quotas. And in the restaurants, people were routinely working, you know, 10, 12 hour days. And this is something that our members were, you know, absolutely livid about. People had been out of work for the pandemic, struggling economically, only to come back and be worked to the bone. Housekeeping is incredibly physically demanding job. There was a study out in Minnesota in 2014 that showed that housekeepers have a higher average rate of injury than coal miners. It is just uh, really will break down your body if, if your time around it isn't managed correctly. And uh, that was not the case there. And of course, you also had the kind of twisted historical irony of Colonial Williamsburg and its <laughs> Colonial William <laughs> Colonial working conditions. You know, a city that uh, was made up uh, overwhelmingly of enslaved people in the late 18th century is still kind of, you know, forcing its, its largely black and brown workforce to work these obscene hours. The good news, and, and that also was an issue that animated a lot of the direct action that we did towards the end of the contract negotiations, uh, the call for the boycott of the places where we had a labor dispute, picket lines that we put up outside of the places of work in the middle of kind of the busiest time of year there. The major demand there was just an end to, to mandatory overtime. And, um, you know, really pleased to tell you that the contract makes enormous strides in those areas. So, uh, for example, there's an end to mandatory extra rooms for housekeepers. There's a new system for assigning overtime that is first based on volunteers and seniority. So management can't just arbitrarily decide who they're going to give it to. The uh, In the um, restaurants, there's uh, a five-day working week and um, pretty, pretty high uh, overtime payments that members are due if they're not given a five-day work week, if they have to work. Uh, if they can only take one, you know, one day off a week and they're not consecutive. And so there's a lot in the contract that in practice is going to make it significantly harder uh, for management to operate under the same um, kind of like free reigning overtime system that they had in place before. And we also think that the significantly higher wages uh, that now are attached to the property are going to mean that they're going to be able to hire more people, which will also lessen the overtime burden on the current members. Um, you know, just anecdotally, we know of a couple people who were planning on resigning in the new year from Colonial Williamsburg, but as soon as they saw the contract, uh, rescinded their resignations and, you know, voted yes on it. So um, I think that kind of tells you about what the, you know, state of like the morale is of the, of the members there, but also... I think the prospects for increased hiring, which will further reduce the overtime burden beyond the significant gains that we made in the contract. Wonderful. Hey, listen, real quick follow-up. And it's kind of a softball question. Um, 
without the direct action, without the picketing, what would have happened at that bargaining table? Uh, I don't think we would have gotten close to what we ended up getting. I mean, the adage that direct action gets the goods, it got them all the way here. There's no question in, in our minds. And, um, you know, I think it really showed management and the community that our members were not going to settle for a contract that didn't address the working conditions. You know, management on the economics, they'd been speaking publicly about the raises that they'd hoped to give, you know, not quite as much as we ended up getting, but, um, you know, we were closer on the economics and the working conditions prior to that point. And I think that that last month of, you know, concentrated direct action around the busiest time of the year for them you know, just just made it really clear what we weren't, what members there were and were not going to accept. And uh, I think once that became clear to management, once they realized, you know, what the um, what it would mean for them to continue having to fight over this labor dispute during such a busy time of the year, uh, we started to make much more progress at the table. That's Benji Cannon. He does communications for Unite Here Local 25. We're talking about the new contract, the hard-won new contract for the Colonial Williamsburg workers. You're listening to Your Rights at Work with Chris and Ed. Benji, take us back a little bit. You know, the, you started these negotiations back, I think you said, in May of this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So how how did that go I mean when you first started out did you did you think it was going to take this long did you have a history of this was there something special that had to do with the pandemic what what was the thinking going into this contract campaign yeah so at the outset what we had a couple of things that you know we knew needed to change at colonial williamsburg so one we already touched on which is the poverty wages right had to be uh dramatically increased people needed a raise so badly there and we needed to get it up to the standards uh, closer to our D.C. And, and Northern Virginia hotels. Uh, the second is that most of the language in that contract was drafted in the 60s. It's oh, decades old. And um, so on everything from grievance and arbitration to uh, succession and what happens to the pension if the property is sold. There were just a litany of really egregious language issues in there that uh, we needed to change. And um, one of the another piece of good news is that the contract was almost entirely rewritten. There's you know almost no section of it that was untouched, and most of them were you know gutted and and redone over the course of these negotiations to much more closely mirror the incredibly strong language that we have uh, on enforcement on mandatory extra rooms, on people's, you know, rights at work that we have in in the downtown contract in the D.C. hotels. So really the wages and making sure that the language was updated and, you know, the the principle kind of at the heart of those language updates was people's right to have a life outside of work. Uh, Management was still operating, assuming that they could tell people, you know, there's no difference between your work and your life. Your family doesn't matter. Your vacation doesn't matter. Your time off doesn't matter. Uh, and we're going to pay you nothing uh, for that privilege. And so those two issues really went hand in hand and was kind of the impetus for the major uh, language changes that we made in the new contract. And, you know, the, that was uh, people were really enthusiastic about. So it was it was definitely a long process. I think it uh, goes without saying that when we started, uh, management was in a very different place at the outset than where they ended up. Again, that that's why the 
incredible organizing that our team did down there and the direct action that the member leaders who are also just some of the most outstanding people I've ever worked with uh, have been engaged with for, for months is what, you know, got us really, uh, you know, it felt like miles and miles and miles of difference from, from where we started. Well, Benji, you know, having heard all that, May to, May to December then sounds to me like not a long time frame at all because you're basically, it's almost doing an initial contract negotiations if you're gutting the entire contract. And I've known initial contract negotiations that can go on for two years. So uh, really, I think it's almost warp speed, in, in my opinion, or it says that you guys came in knowing what you wanted and, and pushed hard to get there. But language change, as I know, is, is not easy to do and not always easy to explain and then get what I call the theoretical buy-in from management. Because once you get a buy-in on theory or concepts, then you can work the language. But it always takes time uh, you know, to change a proposal in mid-afternoon and type it out and get the copies to everybody. And I don't know if you guys did it in person or in Zoom, but it takes time. So I really, I don't have a question. Maybe you want to comment on that, but uh, I'm I'm amazed it took only eight, seven months. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that was just um, really thanks to the organizing and resolve of our members down there. They, you know, there's, there's a couple of outside factors I think did affect the speed of this. One of them is... Um, Colonial Williamsburg is, is in the middle in Virginia of some of the issues that have been talked about in the national media around the so-called, you know, workforce shortage, people not wanting to go back uh, because they don't want to be treated like garbage and they want to be paid fair wages. A lot of the surrounding um, areas in Williamsburg, like Bush Gardens, which have been struggling to hire new people, uh, raised wages significantly. Uh, we're trying to introducing these sweeteners. And Colonial Williamsburg, of course, couldn't do that for the place where they desperately needed to hire without a, a new contract in place, without the members uh, voting to affirm it. And I think that, um, you know, that economic pressure and, you know, it's manifesting in amazing organizing that workers are doing all around the country, uh, especially in the hospitality sector and food and beverage, like the Starbucks workers. And I think that it was pretty clear to management that their interests were actually aligned with ours at a certain point here. Um, no, they were not always willing to move on some of the critical issues. And, you know, obviously this this uh, process has been, has been a fight. It, it went public. There were picket lines and a boycott call. But at the end of the day, I think um, they knew that they needed, if they wanted to retain any kind of workforce there, to change. And the only way to do that was by actually bargaining with, with the workers there. And so I think that that contributed to the speed I think another thing that's worth mentioning, you know, on our end is that uh, these jobs are seasonal. There's usually a huge round of layoffs uh, from January to March, and people just don't expect to work because travel is significantly depressed. Combine that with the rise of cases and the Omicron variant, and I think everyone kind of wanted to get this settled uh, before the winter, before everything slowed down. And, um, you know, they wanted to have it in place so that they could hire aggressively when they needed to in the spring and summer when things pick up. We, of course, wanted everything to be in place for our members before most of them went out on layoff. And so I think um, we did have, it was a crunch, but the timing as well as the kind of macroeconomic environment really worked to the advantage of our members there. 
Angie, before we let you go, just a couple of quick follow-ups, uh, things that you actually referred to. Let me get your thoughts. Uh, the Starbucks organized in Buffalo, uh, not too far from my hometown of Rochester and upstate New York, of course, where Ed's from as well. So we're following that particularly closely. I mean, Starbucks is sort of like Amazon, uh, you know, for you guys, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's been, uh, you know, they're everywhere. Um, but they've been resolutely uh, anti-union. Um, there haven't really been a lot of attempts to organize them. Um, I'm just curious about your your thoughts uh, on on the historic, you know, importance of that, and and what do you think might be coming up next? Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see where it goes. I mean, one thing that I think has been left out of some of the Starbucks discussion is the only Starbucks which were organized prior to this were in you know the airports and stadiums that right here represents so you know our approach to it has been um more about the kind of you know who is the uh, who owns the bricks and mortar in these larger uh you know buildings and whatever where starbucks is sit so i'm you know i'm kind of curious about how that's going to look as well as just to have leverage over a company that big you know a couple of shops is going to make it really difficult to get a good contract in place. And so um, yeah. I was, I was really pleased that there were, as soon as, um, you know, the count was in and there were those two that, that won recognition, there were a bunch of other elections filed. I think that's really promising. And, and what I hope it heralds is a kind of understanding that the contract campaign is going to be enormously difficult and complex given uh the unlimited resources of the employer and how few of their shops so far are organized so you know i'm 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 very interested to see um how many more elections they can win or even voluntary recognitions maybe uh (laughs) they can force depending on the context to make that contract fight a little bit more successful and and to increase the power that the workers there have over the company you know the corollary that we deal with all the time is hotels increasingly owned by these large uh, private equity giants and it means that if you just have one or two of them organized it's really really difficult to to generate the um economic incentive to to get to a good contract so you start to look at these kind of larger corporate campaigns with community organizing dimensions with political dimensions with a huge comms push in order to actually win anything and you know think more creatively about what uh, economic pressure looks like I remember when uh, when I saw that news, and I was excited to see it, but it, I, I could be wrong in this. I think there's something like 9,000 Starbucks in the country. So I was like, okay, yeah. 8,998 8, to go, to, to your point that, but, 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 you know, we just have a minute or two left. I mean, and sometimes in these, and, and you know, you know this from your own organizing, right? Some, it's a symbolic value, even though it's just a couple, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's even though like, I'm thinking of the Amazon, even though Amazon won, won, quote unquote, you know, the Alabama election, they got so much negative publicity that it's, so, you know, so Starbucks losing those couple of elections could be sort of a, that the, 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 the chink in the dike that uh, they're really, uh, do, do you see a flood coming, I guess, is what I'm wondering. I sure do. Um, you know, and I, I think that, as you were saying at the outset of this show, there's a lot of good labor news right now. And I think each stronger contract that's won, each new shop that is organized, uh, makes this movement scarier to employers uh, and makes uh, work, you know, increases the strength and solidarity that workers across the country have. And, you know, 
frankly, I think one of the few things in this country that that makes me hopeful is seeing the wave of labor militancy and mm. energy that has just come out of the pandemic and seeing large companies like Starbucks, which have been viciously anti-union for years, lose any elections. I think I think it's huge. We know how difficult it is to win against a company that big, given the state of labor law. And so anytime workers do it, I think it's tremendously inspiring. And I think um, you know, I think I think it's heading in a, a really promising and exciting new direction for the whole movement. And Starbucks definitely heralds that. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, uh, actually, Ed Smith, let me go to you. And then I just I, I want to get from Benji uh, if there are any big things coming up for Local 25 in, in yeah, the I year ahead. Want, yeah, I just wanted to jump in on the Amazon. Remember, Amazon, that election, they might have to rerun it um, because yes, just that's right. Um, Judge found that they uh, con- conducted illegal business, basically. Um, in the-, <laughs> well, and, uh, the mailbox inside Amazon, you know. <laughs> right, the mailbox inside Amazon. And, and, you know, people who are not in the know, maybe they don't get that as much. But the fact is, it sends a message to employers. That sends a huge message to employers. They still might win that election and beat, and beat back the union. But the fact is, people are standing up to that big company and you got the NLRB now making appropriate rulings, and that will reverberate with those anti-union law firms. They're going to have to be really spending, you know, making their clients spend a lot more money to make sure that they follow the rules. So I don't want to discount legal uh, decisions. And then, you know, hey, if they rerun that election, you never know what's going to happen. What's ahead in uh, next year for, for Local 25? Anything we should be keeping an eye on, Benji? Um, yeah, so I mean, don't have a whole lot of specifics yet, but you know, I think we'll be turning our attention to the immediate DC area as well as Northern Virginia. I know uh, we talked about how at the end of the uh, Virginia elections, we said, you know, this might not be the political outcome that we hope for, but nothing is going to stop the organizing that we're looking to do here. Uh, I think that's as true as ever. And the great contract at Williamsburg was really just our first shot across the bow. So a lot more exciting organizing in store for us uh, now that we have that great contract in place. Well, that's a really good reminder because everybody was really bummed out after, and and you guys, of course, had really led the way on on really hitting the the doors in Virginia. So I'm going to say that, you know, that's a, your your win in Williamsburg, you know, I'm going to say is definitely connected, you know, to your being out there and and bodes well uh, for the future. So once again, congratulations. Great way to, uh, to wrap up the year. We'll look forward to checking in with you in the new year as well. Great. Thanks again so much for having me on. Thank you. It's Benji Cannon. He does communications for Unite Here Local 25. Find out all about them. All right. Next up, uh, as promised, and this is uh, sort of right in line with uh, what Benji was just talking about, and uh, we're going to come back. We're going to be talking with Dan DiMaggio. He's the assistant editor at Labor Notes. We're going to be talking about who might, who else might strike in 2022. But uh, first off, we've got a brand new song from Jerry Levinsky. I think you're going to recognize the tune, but let's, uh, Kalia, let's, let's, let's roll this. Stay. 
the gates of hell, but we won't back down. We will stand our ground, won't be turned around, and we'll keep this world from dragging us down. Gonna stand our ground, no we won't back down. Vinsky. Ed Smith, you might recognize that tune a little bit. I certainly do. And, uh, you know, that was one uh, rock star, if you will, that really uh, was very Tom sad. Petty. Tom, Tom Petty. Petty. Yep. It was very sad during the past a few years ago. Love that song. Uh, and uh, thanks for playing it all the way through, Chris, brother. <laughs> I was not going to cut off. I, we won't back down. No way, no how. Plus, I love uh, and and we'll put when we put the podcast up, we'll include the link to the video. He's got some nice video at the beginning and the end from various uh, protests. So it just seemed to me that that seemed to me like a good anthem for for not only for this year, the so called year of the worker, but for next year as as well. So for here on your rights to work, it is always the year of the workers so <laughs> hey, well, uh, step up and call 202-588-0893 if you got any questions um and we got another great guest that's speaking of you were talking about the year of the worker and hopefully 2022 the year of the worker very interested uh in hearing um 
Mr. DiMaggio, and I did read, uh, I did my prep work, Chris. Oh my today. God, you prepped, you prepped stuff. it. Jeez, weird. And, <laughs> uh, and, I, and I was aware of a number of the uh, contracts that were up, especially in the nursing uh, field. So uh, yeah, good, good call on this guest, and let's look forward to 2022. All right, well, he wrote uh, his most recent piece, I think his most recent piece, Who Might Strike in 2022? Hundreds of big contracts will be up. That's by our next guest, Dan DiMaggio, his assistant managing editor at the wonderful Labor Notes. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you taking time uh, to be with us today. And uh, so we were, you know, every, a lot of fuss is being made about all the stuff going on in 2021. Of course, we're wrapping up this year. Um, but as you point out in this story, there are some fairly large contracts uh, coming up uh, in 2022. So I wanted to just sort of uh, do a little bit of a deep dive into some of those. What are, what are some of the ones that stand out to you? Uh, so I think some of the ones that are, that really stand out. Uh, there's this, there's this big longshore, uh, contract on the West coast, um, between the ILWU, uh, and the Pacific Maritime Association that covers, uh, 22,000 dock workers all along the West coast. Um, and of course there's been a lot of, uh, you know, attention, um, in the media, uh, about the, the supply chain issues and the, um, we ran another story in labor notes, um, just pointing out that it's no surprise that the, the big shippers, um, are trying to cast longshore workers, um, you know, in a bad light and blame them, uh, for, uh, supply chain, uh, problems or, you know, delays at the ports, uh, with the contract coming up. This is sort of, uh, you know, what, um, what happens every, uh, every few years whenever the contract comes up. So that expires, uh, July 1st. Um, and let, let me just uh, jump in there real quick. So how, because I, I missed the story, I'll go back and check it. I'm sure you've got that in labor notes as well. But how, how are the supply chain issues the fault of the longshore workers? I mean, they're, they're not dr driving these things, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, <laughs> the idea is always, uh, they have too much control uh, uh, over their work. You know, um, they're not willing to, uh, concede, you know, all sorts of work rule changes, um, you know, and th that uh, that would supposedly allow things to move, um, move a lot faster. Uh, and they're, uh, you know, and they don't work hard enough. They have too much control, uh, you know, over over their jobs. Um, and they want to they want to keep some jobs uh, uh, there, too, and not make everything, uh, you know, even more automated. So. Um, well, I mean, longshore workers, we should we should point out, have a very long and, and fairly militant uh, history, which is probably what really sticks in the craw of their bosses. Yes, absolutely. Um, so so, you know, that's a big one uh, to uh, to look at. You know, it's uh, so we'll, we'll keep our eyes on that. And obviously it has, uh, you know, um, huge implications uh, for for the U.S. economy and the uh, you know, and the global economy, um, what's going on there. Um, you know, and then there are a lot of other big ones. There's, uh, the, the pattern agreement, um, for the steel workers that covers 30,000, uh, workers at oil refineries and petrochemical plants that expires beginning in February. Um, so the steel workers are right now in bargaining, um, uh, with, uh, about to be in bargaining with Mar Marathon Petroleum, which is now the top U.S. refiner, um, and it's going to be the 
take over as the the lead negotiator um, there. You know, so that's uh, you know that could be a battle. Um, of course, there are there are like every year there are big um, teachers uh, union contracts coming up this year in particular at uh, you know I think the two largest school districts, uh, which is New York City, um, uh, the largest contract which covers one hundred twenty thousand teachers and and school uh, staff um, that expires in September. And then uh, the United Teachers of Los Angeles uh, contract expires, uh, I believe, in June, um, and that covers thirty-four thousand teachers. And of course, they they struck. Uh, what was it? About three years ago. Um, Two thousand nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any 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 uh, <laughs> early inclinations uh, in, in terms of what uh, what issues are there? Because that that was a big one. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, between that and West Virginia, that that. I think I think between those two kind of sparked a lot of what's happening now. Yeah, you know, I can't I can't necessarily I don't want to don't want to pretend like I'm an expert on uh you know uh all of these um you know these contracts that I that I uh that I listed here. Mm-hmm. Um uh you know, but certainly for uh what teachers are going through, you know, has or have gone through all over the country for the last yep. Yep. uh I mean as as of all workers, um, you know, uh, during the pandemic, uh, you know, means that there could be, you know, uh, there's a lot of combustible, uh, material, whether it will lead to, to big strikes, um, uh, in any of these, uh, districts, um, I think remains to be, you know, remains to be seen, but I, you know, I think in Los Angeles and, and Oakland, um, which is another one, uh, that is expiring and another one where they struck, uh, in 2019, um, you know, I think in, in both of those cases, the unions are, uh, you know, going into, into bargaining again, uh, with a, you know, with a serious, uh, organizing mentality. Um, so, you know, in New York, uh, I think that's a whole other, you know, story. We'll, we'll see. It's a, sort of a different, different union and is not, uh, struck in, in, you know, many, many years. Uh, two things that you that you raise, I think, are important to sort of put a pin in, and and, and you know, obviously, we we don't know either. I think we're just looking at what are the different factors that are involved. But um, obviously, the pandemic, and I know, like here in D.C., uh, the teachers have been involved in in struggling with you know the uh, elected officials uh, over working conditions, return to work, how they work. Ed Smith, I know you've been involved in that because you've got nurses in the schools. Um, so those all seem like, you know, that'll be a factor. Um, and we can't discount, you know, it's going to be uh, the midterms. So electoral politics are going to play a role as well, I would think. Yeah, that that uh, certainly <laughs> uh, certainly seems like like it, it will be the, the case. You know, I mean, there's another there's also a number of contracts up um, in higher ed uh, with for graduate employees at the university of california mm-hmm. um 19,000 graduate employees there who uh you know have been uh in particular i think organizing around the issue of the cost of of living cost of housing um whether on campus or uh or off campus um and that led to wildcat strikes at uc santa cruz um a couple of years ago uh and now you know i think the whole union um 
UAW Local 2865 is, is looking at that issue and trying to figure out, you know, how they can, um, can take it up. Uh, <clears throat> there's also another contract that covers 16,000 faculty and campus workers at Rutgers in New Jersey, um, where they came close to, to, uh, to striking last time. Um, you know, that's, that's coming up this year. So, you know, it's hard to say which one of these will, uh, or, or, you know, if any of these will, will lead to a strike. Um, I wanted to, to mention, we ran a story in Labor Notes at the beginning of 2021 um, that was also, you know, listing all the, uh, you know, all, all the big, or attempting to list some of the big uh, contracts that were up, um, you know, and it didn't list John Deere, uh, for example, <laughs> or it didn't list, it didn't list Frito-Lay, you know, which was, you know, 500 workers. Um, but I think, you know, really uh, had had a huge sort of public profile um, to it being a um, such a high profile brand, uh, you know, and, and also like the, the conditions that the that workers were, were saying that they faced of working seven days a week, 12 hour days for months on end. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, the, yeah. No, I just wanted to say, Dan, you, you, you can relax. You know, we're we're not going to come back and, and say, okay, you you missed this. What are you? you know, I, I will though. We, we, you we, oh, you will. So. Okay. We, we love labor notes. But you guys, you guys keep your ears so close to the ground. That's why we wanted to have you on. So it's it's uh yeah, and and I think the the thing is is that you know you're definitely you know whether you get every single one or a big proportion of them or or, or whatever. Although you know. Frankly, I'm I'm, I'm going to say your batting average is is pretty good, certainly on this and and overall. But you know, it, it did turn out to be a year when a lot of people just said no mas, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the the one th one other thing I was I think is interesting is that right now, you know, we have this um, sort of very high inflation. Um, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so workers are feeling like, yeah, you know, are, are feeling this in their, you know, uh, at the grocery store or when they go to buy a new used car, a new car, uh, and the cost of housing, um, you know, or, or many things. And they're, they're seeing all the reports on it in the media. Um, and so that, you know, is definitely, I think, setting, uh, you know, setting unions up to, um, to need to demand. Uh, you know, more just to, just to keep pace. Um, but at the same time, so many of the issues, and, and, and also, you know, these companies are, are walking away with record profits and, mm -hmm. um, sky high, uh, you know, stock valuations. Um, but at the same time, the, th the issues that drove a number of the strikes in 2021, um, and which I imagine will be the same case in 2022. Were not necessarily wages, um, right? You know, right. but were rather like issues of scheduling, of you know, of of two tier, three tier, four tier, eight tier, you know, systems um, of you know, unlike like John Deere, they were frustrated because the the company, uh, <laughs> which was uh, you know, was making record almost six billion dollars in profit, came at them and said. Uh, well, we want to create third tier of workers who will not, you know, have any access to the pension, um, you know, and the workers were looking at it and saying, well, we were hoping to actually win back, uh, you know, retiree health care for, you know, all those workers um, hired since 1997. You know, we weren't 
you know, thinking that you would go and try to add, you know, yet another tier, um, you know, or at uh, Nabisco and Kellogg's, um, you know, the company pushing hard to get alternative work schedules um, to schedule people on the weekends without having to pay a premium um, for that. Uh, you know, all those issues and Kaiser, which, you know, they didn't strike, but was, you know, big fight, uh, you know, they wanted to create uh, a second tier um, for, for wages. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, I think that those, those are the sort of issues, um, you know, again, around, um, around the tiers and around work rules and um, that are likely to drive um, a lot of the strikes, although they'll be presented as, you know, this is around wages, you know, or whatever else. I mean, it, it should note, I, like, the John Deere workers walked away from that strike, uh, you know, with a 10% wage increase in the in the first year, um, which I think, you know, was a, was a victory, although the contract still, you know, only narrowly passed, um, you know, right. in the end. But so the expectations, um, you know, of workers are... Um, you know, I think are, are higher than they've been uh, recently, you know, oftentimes uh, so many, you know, unions have sort of had to, you know, just eat these concessions and workers are not, uh, don't seem to be in, in a mood right now, at least in, in some industries, um, you know, at least when they can say, look, we're making tons of profit and you're working us nonstop, um, uh, you know, they're they're in the mood to undo those concessions. So it does really set up um, you know, potentially big battles that, and many of these have sort of come from below where, the, you know, the, the bargaining committee or the international union negotiated uh, a tentative agreement and the, you know, it was overwhelmingly rejected um, uh, by the members, um, you know, and often that was not the intention of the, the bargaining committee. Sometimes the bargaining committee, you know, would put it out to say, uh, we want hey, you to reject it. Yeah. Before we, yeah, I know, Ed, you want to ask about the hospital contracts, right? Well, I want to jump in. Yeah, I definitely want to ask about the hospital contracts, but I also think that, um, and I really appreciate the uh, uh, the litany uh, the, uh, in this article. It's a very strong article for us to kind of see what what's on the horizon. Um, I think a big part of this is there's been much more activism and organizing, much more engagement in the rank and file through uh, in a number of unions, which then makes it uh, a lot easier to take political and in, in, in job action. Um, once you have the rank and file either behind the leadership or the leadership behind the rank and file, it makes for uh, a, a much stronger position. And we heard from Benji in the last um, segment Without that, you don't get the contract. And, and I think what we're seeing is there's a lot more activism. And with Longshoreman's contract coming up, I guarantee you there'll be activism. And then we talk about, um, you know, Michigan. They're my brothers and sisters in Michigan in the, in, the, in the nursing union. And they've got some big ones. And I will tell you this. They are a very organized, activated group, uh, a very strong union that beat back some challenges internally. Um, and they represent a lot of folks. I think it's about 15,000 there. Um, so if you could kind of just paint a picture of uh, the contracts that are open in Michigan for the nurses, Dan. Yeah, the big one in Michigan um, is at the University of Michigan, um, which is the, the biggest uh, contract for the Michigan 
uh, Nurses Association. Um, and that covers, I believe it covers 5,000 nurses at the University of Michigan Medical Center, expires uh, June 30th. Um, you know, and they're, I think, facing the same issues that, uh, you know, that nurses uh, all over the country um, are facing, um, which is tremendous. I have nurses and all hospital workers, I should say, um, every single person working inside a hospital, I think, um, uh, you know, which is just tremendous overwork, um, short staffing, uh, you know, and people leaving uh, the profession because um, they can't take it anymore. They're, you know, or, or leaving um, for more lucrative uh, nursing jobs elsewhere, you know, so. Uh, you know, I think they're going to be, um, like many other unions, uh, you know, probably fighting around, um, uh, you know, staffing levels. They just delivered a petition right before Christmas to the chief nur nursing officer uh, there. Um, they, they put it on her door with a, with a bow. Um, you could see this article on, on Labor Notes. Uh, it says, instead of coal, these nurses gave their boss 900 documented <laughs> incidents of unsafe understaffing. Um, Love it. Yeah. You know, and it's signed by uh, 2,000. It's got 2,000 petition signatures. Uh, they said every single unit is running short. Um, you know, so the petition demands that they return staffing levels to pre the pre-pandemic levels um, before management instituted severe austerity measures. Um, another big, another big nursing uh, uh, and hospital contract I wanted to flag was just in Buffalo, um, where there was a strike uh, at Mercy Hospital um, in the fall. Uh, but that same sort of group of unions or uh, communication workers, CWA Local 1168, uh, <clears throat> which had some members at Mercy, um, their contract, which covers 7,000 members uh, at Kaleida Hospital, which is the, the biggest chain in Buffalo, um, is up uh, in, I think, in May or June. Uh, May 31st expires. Uh, and, you know, they won some, uh, they made some good gains at, at Mercy, CWA locals, 1133 and 1168 uh, on safe staffing uh, ratios and, and penalties um, on the hospital. And I think they're going to be looking to uh, uh, replicate those um, those gains at, at Kaleida, you know, and maybe they now have uh, some leverage. Um, I don't know, you know, if it will reach uh, a strike, but they're certainly preparing for one. Um, they've got their strike FAQs out already. Uh, staffing, so. staffing is the big issues, and I know that we're, uh, we probably got to wrap up. Uh, yep, this. we do, we do. I'm sorry, uh, I, but here's the thing, Dan. Great work. Uh, quite deeply to find out more at labornotes.org. Uh, keep the great articles coming, and we'll be checking back with you in 2022. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Keep up the good work. Yep. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, brother. Dan DiMaggio, assistant editor at the great Labor Notes. Again, labornotes.org. It's been, uh, you know, like I say in this show, it's always the year of the worker. We're looking forward to 2022, folks. Uh, everybody continue to be safe, be strong. Uh, we, got a, we got a big New Year coming up. And uh, so thanks again to uh, Kalia Chapman, who was engineering today. Thank you, Kalia. Got us going with our music there. Everybody have a great New Year's. Be safe out there. Ed Smith, good to see you, brother. We'll see you all great. next week. Great to see you. Peace, everybody. Happy New Year.